All right, welcome to many are made and few. Bleh, fucking welcome to many are made, few are chosen. Many are few are chosen. Few few are made, few are fucking. I, I actually wrote chosen on here. Watched. <laughs> All right, that's awesome. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. All right. All right. All right, welcome Dukes and Poops, Bienvenidos Power Bottoms, welcome to Many Are Made, Few Are Watched. I am with my two brothers, Zach and Junior, and we are in part three, episode three of our mini-series, or whatever you want to call it, Good Film Haunting for our horror, and we are going to be recording our favorite horror movies. or talking about our favorite horror movies. And we watched, what was it? We watched The Thing, the Ni- a Nightmare on Elm Street, and this weird-ass movie that I never saw until recently, Hellraiser. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so most of these movies are classic to many people. I mean, it, it, like especially, I didn't realize Hellraiser actually had quite a following. It, it's I wouldn't say it's a cult classic, but it, there is a following behind it. Um, where where did you watch Hellraiser for the first time, Zach? Like, because like, what the hell? Like, seriously. Well, first, can I ask? It, it's <laughs> horror, right? Or or is this the horror? The horror. I feel like the horror. Okay. Um, yeah, I want I want to know this question. Um, there was a line in Roger Ebert's um, review for this movie towards the end. Who goes to see movies like this? What do they get out of them? So I'm going to pose the same question to you and follow up to Josh's question. Where, when, why do you, did you watch this movie? And how is it your favorite? <laughs> well, um, so I, I, in this, this last year, uh, we started a company. A lot, a lot of it was blog focused. Um, and one of the themes we did around Halloween was one horror movie per day and we would blog about it and post it the following day so after watching 31 horror movies you know one of them being that i had a wide pool to decide from and after viewing all of them i decided you know fucking hellraiser is just above and beyond one of the fucking most interesting <laughs> fucking movies i've ever seen and so i had to that just became my favorite i mean i watched I mean, like we covered in our previous podcast, um, Wishmaster, you know, Wishmaster is also very, very good. And I enjoyed it a lot, but just the concept behind what was going on with, uh, with Hellraiser and the, what are Xenobites or Cenobites? Cenobites. I think they're uh, a a snack at Cinnabon. Yeah. Yes. Multidimensional snack. Uh, So, yeah, no, that was really interesting. (laughs) And I really, really stuck with me. Okay, and then I mean, we'll obviously kind of get into the movies oh, yeah. a little bit more, but I, I just kind of have a follow up question: um, Who hurt you? Why are you, this, why are you this way, dude? Bro, I, I don't know. Like, I'm obviously a very disturbed child based on what we were talking about from third grade. So, <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, I, that that kind of for our listeners. I found out this week as I was helping our mother uh, move her stuff from her current apartment to the new, her new home that she bought 
there was a yearbook of him of, of Zach and Josh's from when they went to an elementary and we all graduated from a parochial private schools, Christian private schools. And my mom said, I said, I don't remember them going to this elementary. And that's when my mom told me a story that Zach drew a photo um, that caused the teacher to call the police. And I was unaware <laughs> of this. And that's what led them getting transferred out of public school to private school. And what was the picture again, Zach? What, what, what was the drawing that caused this teacher such disturbing, um, horrifying, I guess, feelings to call the police on you? I, uh, long story short, I drew what I would do to my evil twin and it was, <laughs> was me. that the assignment or I, I interpreted it in my own ways. It, really, <laughs> it, it, was, it you was, know, what would you do? Draw a picture of what you would do with your twin. And I added, uh, what you would do to your <laughs> evil twin, a very imaginative child, um, clearly, or as they were probably assuming disturbed, but, um, neither here nor there we're. Well, but I'm just saying, obviously, you know, I think it's kind of funny, that story, um, because, you know, when you look at one of the movies we watch or even movies that have kind of pre like dominated the horror genre, you know, having the the evil somebody that takes over your body or takes the form of someone, you know, I think it's a natural response to want to kill them. So. Yeah, um, yeah, like but, in all the movies, you're like, why didn't they just kill them when they had the chance? Obviously, I was, <laughs> I'm not going to fall for that. Even as a kid, I'm like, no, take, take them out right away. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. <clears throat> um, you know, but one of the things I'll say about Hellraiser, um, and I, I don't know, do we want to go ahead and jump into the discussion? You guys have anything else? Or? We can just, we can ramble. Yeah, we can, bit, I guess. we can ramble. Let's, let's just riff for a few minutes. Okay, okay, then. yeah. Yeah, well, I think one of the things I've been noticing with, you know, a lot of the movies we've watched in the horror genre, and, and I have been reading um, that book, Don's Macabre by Stephen King, where he wrote this book, I, th I forgot when exactly, but he just covered like the 1950s to 1980s, like horror genre, you know, movies, books, things of that nature. But, you know, one of the things you think about a really, what makes a really successful horror movie is something that kind of touches base on like a psychological fear, right? Something that's we don't really kind of think about, but when we do see it, it kind of freaks us out, right? So, you know, you've had everything from staying at a off, you know, thinking about psycho, staying at an off off road motel, and you know, someone coming in and killing you while you're showering, like that's just a scary thing. I think we'd all find scary, right? Oh, for sure, dude. Like to jump in there, like I'd never really thought about that until you just said that, but like whenever I went on a road trip a few years back and was like driving through Utah, I stared at this like random ass motel and I was like super freaked out. I was going to get killed. So I like put the dresser in front of the door. And I was like, nah, I can't sleep without this dresser in front of this door. So yeah, is, you're right. There is like this like thread in your head that the sphere that these movies touch on Bro. so well. Right. And that's what makes it so scary. And it's so funny you say that because when I live with Julie and our sister, Julie, and, and Georgia for a bit, she was always so And I was even there to stay to protect her, you know, while our brother-in-law at the time was serving in the military. And she would tie a rope over the door and tie it to the closet door so that way you couldn't open good in her door. But she also slept with a gun under her pillow. Like she was just so <laughs> afraid. And ultimately, she shot herself in the head while she was <laughs> No, Jesus. Um, and I used to say, thank God you tie the rope, because what if I what if I would have just nonchalantly came in one morning? I would have taken Bam. two in the chest, you know? But again, it's that fear, that fear of like someone's going to come while I'm sleeping 
right? Or whatever it might be, you know, even when we look at the haunt, uh, what was it, The Shining, you know, cabin fever, being in a big hotel where you start to see things, is it me going crazy or is it the hotel actually haunted, right? You know, and we talked about that last week, I think when we talked about like the Veja Yona, the crying lady, you know, just these things that we find that like put fear in us and these good movies. So kind of just a riff on Hellraiser. When I was looking at all these movies, I could kind of see, you know, you know, um, you know, I could see what the pressure or fear point was in each movie until I got to Hellraiser and I'm like, wait, I don't understand it. But then today <laughs> it hit, today it hit me. I'm like, oh, I think we all have a perverted Uncle Frank. And that's kind of scary, right? You know? <laughs> Come, Frank, Come to daddy. Come Frank to daddy. Max level, bro. Oh, my God, dude. It's that's your Uncle bro. Frank. Come to daddy. Sadomasochistic bullshit, bro. Super. Yeah, for real. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah, so that. <laughs> why, my, why not? Let's just go right into Hellraiser first, because that movie was strange, man. Yeah, let's, yeah let's, let's do it. Let's I, do it. I think we let's kick off with that one because I think that's the one we have the most questions about. And so I guess why don't you kind of kick it off? I guess since it's your favorite movie, yeah, you know, kind of you kind of touched a little bit on how and when, but yeah, just give us another quick so, soundbite. So Hellraiser is a Clive Barker film. Uh, Clive Barker, the writer, it's his directorial debut, um, and it's a it's a doozy. It's it's a sadomasochistic trip through horror and gore. So um, he starts out, these people, I, I don't know. It starts out kind of weird, right? Where like he's out in this weird place. He gets this box and I don't know. Is it because it's a new way to get off? Is that what it was, right? He's trying to reach the highest forms of pleasure, apparently, is what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, experience or something yeah. like that. And so he gets this box and, you know, he opens it and the Cenobites show up and give and him the pleasure and rip him apart. It's, it's super so what, weird. What are Cenobites? They are interdimensional uh, BDSM <laughs> characters. Yeah. No, I mean, pretty much. I mean, that's how they're designed, right? You know, they have that straight out of a goth or um, goth slash uh, S, yeah, BDSM lounge or cave. Yeah, for a real. lot of, I also saw a lot of, I mean, obviously, the Matrix came afterward, but that it's that same, you know, connection of the black latex and all of that nature. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, some, I mean, they're kind of like demons too. So it's, it's really weird. Um, and yeah. actually, you know, it's funny that you said sadomasochist. I've heard or saw that that was one of the titles for the movie, sadomasochist from hell was oh. one of the titles they were floating around Clive Barker. That's a, um, I guess, very I guess accurate. Hellraiser was a little too, like it's a studio, I think it was New World Production, that they didn't like that name at first. So that was another one he had like floated, but then I guess the joke on 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 set, but everybody was truly serious about it. The, the other title they were floating around was What a Woman Will Do to Get a Fuck. Like Jesus that was the other Christ. title. Uh, that's, so, a, that's a good title. <laughs> well, yeah, with that kind of go into the plot of, of of hellraiser yeah so basically you know after that set up really quickly in the first like 10 minutes you know you have a family who moves into uh, I, I guess the dad so there's a family of like it's a husband and wife husband moves into like his old parents house or something and he's gonna like fix it up or whatever and i think frank had been living there and apparently the wife had been having some secret affair with Frank. It, did, it doesn't really get explained super well. It's just like these sexual fantasies she has. 
But ultimately, she goes upstairs and Frank's body or is there and somehow at some capacity she finds him and is able to ultimately through feeding him dead people essentially or murdering them bring him back to life and men that she seduces to her house right like that's um yep she is a sexy sexy woman i guess for the 80s (laughs) whoa 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 is that is that necessary (laughs) it's super super weird uh but yeah that's that's a general plot it's basically him trying to piece himself to back together to escape the uh cenobites hell essentially right and also to kind of because because basically the portal that was opened by blood so that was the thing right the the brother's blood he cut his hand on a nail and that's what I guess there was remnants of Frank's old body, even though he was in an extra dimensional hell. And then basically what happened was that blood opened that same portal and he was able to come back, but it was a very grotesque. It kind of reminded me of Wishmaster a little bit when the gin came out of the stone. Jeez. Right? He, you saw his spine and brain. That was basically all that was left. It's like, don't look like at you me. saw, don't look yeah, at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> Which me and Josh found out as we were watching the credits, there was two different Franks. Yeah. There was real Frank and then the Frank that played the gory, skinless being that was hiding in the upstairs bedroom uh, for a majority of the movie. Hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting. And then I, I heard that they dubbed the voice of Frank, the actor, the actual real Frank. They dubbed him his voice and... uh do we know what I the mean, original guy sounds like? So that, yeah, that's not what the original guy sounds like. And and I think one of the things, and I think it was something I experienced, but you didn't really know where the movie was taking place. It was clearly shot in London. You can tell it's definitely London, but you didn't know if they were in America and they went back to London or they had left London and went to America. So, and, you know, you know, the wife, Julie's voice is, has a British accent, but then like some of the guys she brings and seduces from the bar have British accents as well, but then her husband, Frank, and Larry's daughter from another marriage, Kirsty, they all have American um, accents. So it's a little confusing on that, but yeah, part of that, I think that was part of the reason they dubbed the the, the, the brother Frank, but I think he was an American actor anyway. So I, I, I know that he was kind of not happy with what they decided to do. He's like, um, hello, that, I'm Frank. They're like, no, we gotta cut that shit. <laughs> and 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 really, and one of the things that I remember from the, the movie, and I kind of jokingly made the comment to Josh um, before the podcast or the day after. I think the day we watched it, I'm like, oh, Uncle Frank was, yeah, he was a little, he was a little sex addict. Oh, yeah. so. And uh, I said, well, that kind of makes sense why Zach would like this movie. How dare you? How dare you out me on fucking... <laughs> although although the movie was a bit strange, like I kind of liked the movie just because it had the that weird sense of... Not a weird sense. It's more like there was already existing things called the Cenobites, right? And the the lore of the it, whole I'm lore. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. And then but they never go much into detail. He's like he's like whenever she finally starts reviving him a little further and she's like, you finally you uh owe me explanations. And then he's like and then just dumps what happens and then t- tells a little bit more about it. And I'm like, 
these characters have designs, awesome designs, even though they look a little fucking weird. I was just like, <laughs> I need to know more about these people. I looked up this entire thing. Like, apparently they made like 10 movies. They're going to be making a remake. Junior told me I didn't know about that. Mm -hmm. So there's so up to like four, I think episode, they made four of these movies. And then after that, it was just pretty much another movie, another movie, another movie in order to keep their license. So it doesn't go out to anyone else. Funny enough, old Superman, Henry Cavill was in like episode seven of Hellraiser. Really? Yes, I did he not was. Know that. Yes, oh, he that, was. That fucking <laughs> Englishman. <laughs> but yeah, oh, it was so weird because oh. like it started off as like these guys, you know, these sadomasochists that, you know, were here for pleasure and pain, one of the same, but eventually like evolved into becoming like judgment angels of like, like pretty much angels like you did wrong you go to hell and you're going to be suffering and stuff like that from what the originals were based on from like one to four and what's weird is like i think it might be movie four or three where they go from past present and future all in the same movie it's like three different movies into one so they have how the box was created correct then they have the present time of what's going on. And then they go in the year like 2150. Oh, it, sick. Dude, it, I kind of want to watch it. It's it's very interesting. <laughs> he and, sounds and like that, his cult following there. Yeah. He's oh, yeah. He, up, he, he's, he's hooked like I was hooked on Troll 2. <laughs> you know, like, but it, it is kind of funny that Josh talks about being lured in by the lore. Oh, yeah. A little play on words there. Um, but... Uh, I think that was what I've heard. So there was a podcast. I did find another podcast because I was kind of, I was kind of lost with why, you know, obviously you chose this as your favorite. And, and I told Josh, I go, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen this one. I've, I think I saw Hellraiser two as a kid. So I didn't even Same. ever see Hellraiser one. So, uh, but yeah, they were saying that that was kind of Clive Barker's, like he wanted to not put too much um, X, uh, you know, Exposition. exposition as far as the Cenobites. He wanted that lore to kind of like bring people in and, and bring their interest. And I can understand it. It definitely, you see these creatures, they show up and you're wondering, you know, who are they? What are they doing? You know, um, I feel like so, a lot but, of movies fall prey to that where they overexpose. There's too much exposition. Right. And it's just like shitty and it's bad storytelling. So I, 100%. And those, and then if they, if he did that, those Cenobites kind of lose their power or their, um, what's the word, you know, their presence, right? It would kind of take away from um, the presence they bring to the film, you not knowing exactly who or what they are, but you are interested, you know, and the box was called what the lament box, but it was actually um, a, what's it called? He's a French, a French, um, French person who like developed that kind of puzzle box, yeah. the Marquand or something like that, but uh, they called it the lament box. So yeah, I think one of the things I did when I, I found out about the, you know, as I was digging into it, so it's based on a Clive Barker novella called The Hellbound Heart. And he wrote that as a way to like, basically he wrote that and, and then he used that as the basis to do the script and, and, and do this movie. But in that movie, a couple differences in there is that Kirstie isn't um, the son of Larry and in Larry's name in that book is actually Rory, as not Larry. So that's Kirstie is actually a co-worker of Larry's who is romantically interested in him and then becomes suspicious of his wife. And going back to your point about 
the affair that Julia had with Frank, it happened a week before she married Larry. And she apparently had been lusting for him ever since that point. So that was kind of like what was in the book. There's a little differences. And in, in the book, Kirstie, the engineer, which was that weird bug looking centipede being like the engineer, that was his name. The engineer gives her the box to hold on for the next person um, who comes seeking it. And she, I guess the way the book ends, she's thinking, oh, there must be a box that can lead to find like a, a way to find pleasure or find a way to like bring um, pre pleasure or something like that to like kind of negate it. And, and so it, when, I, when I read the synopsis of the book, I'm kind of like, oh, that's more of an interesting kind of, to, to Josh's point, interesting story. Now, mind you, in the book, apparently it was not just blood of her brother, Frank's brother that brought him back. I guess Frank had left a little semen on the floor before the Cenobites came when he opened the box. And I guess it was the mixture of the semen and the blood that mm. uh, opened the portal. Uh, the Cenobites him fucked back. him and then he fucked the Cenobites. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably what happened. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you apparently when the way they opened that scene when he showed, I mean, who knows what they, they did to him. I mean, obviously they put hooks in him and all kinds of crazy things. Um, and then the more I read about it, apparently... Yeah, the books, I guess there's like three books or that kind of, or three or four that kind of go into the whole Cenobites and things. I guess they're a sect of hell called the Order of the Gash. And yeah, their whole purpose is to like take you to experiences above and beyond anything you have. And to them, pain and pleasure, there's no difference. Like they don't feel any difference. So like, I guess that's kind of like their main thing. When these people come looking for them, they they don't, you know, to them, it doesn't have any feeling. They're above both pleasure, pleasure and pain. They're just beings that, you know, do it because that's what they sought after and that's what they became. So, yeah, I mean, it's very interesting when you think about it. Um, so I, I agree with Josh about the lore of it all. Same, yeah. But but apparently, so special effects, I didn't know. In, in the book, apparently, the pen, pinhead is it's actual pins like decorative pins and they try to do that for the movie but i guess the camera couldn't catch it like i guess like clothes pins they were like those kinds of pins mm. um so that's when they went to the nails they started using the nails um in order for the camera to capture it so that's kind of how that look came about oh interesting Jeez. can we also talk about how what the hell was up with the point like towards the end of the movie where he's all like gets hooked on and then literally about to be torn apart and he's like jesus wept and then gets exploded oh what? yeah that was a very odd scene um have no idea Should Zach, your thoughts on that how we mean josh just looked and we're like what jesus what 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 is going on here <laughs> oh man i don't i don't know i mean obviously it might have just been to like fuck with us hat religious connotations like in, in the bible does anybody remember in what situation that was written? it was oh you know that's a good that's a good point so that 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 context um when when i said jesus wept that's when lazarus had he had found out that lazarus had died and it said jesus wept and then obviously he goes and resurrects lazarus so maybe that was an innuendo to you know the story is going to resurrect itself. Yeah, gonna that come makes back sense. Or, well, that's that's like what that. the that's what it was in the second one. So the story is the, it's very similar to the first one, 
but it's with uh old girl this time uh what's her name uh the, the one that was cheated that that was cheating on her her uh, husband frank Ju- julia so they go into the whole labyrinth of inside of the box correct so like she eventually also is like this nasty ass whatever frank was before you know just needs blood whatever but she finally gets revenge back on Frank because Frank, you know, stabbed her. And he's just like, you know what? Who cares? You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, what do you say? It's nothing personal he, or something so, like that. He's so just, asshole, man. Such an asshole. She's like, and I that love kind him of, even more for this. <laughs> Dude, and that kind of makes sense of what you're saying about the second part. Because the way that the novella ends is uh, Kirsty thinks she can see Frank and Julia's faces in the box like in the little circle of the box. So that kind of makes sense to, you know, how they kind of carry that story forward in, in part two. But, but yeah, the, apparently it's being, re- it's already been shot. Hell, Hulu's already purchased the rights to it. Um, and it should be coming out this year on Hulu, the the reboot, remake. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a shame that we don't get like more original IP out nowadays. Like, yeah. I mean, well, maybe to, to Josh's point, I, I do feel like there's a lot of stuff that maybe... You know, and it definitely sounds like he has become a uh, a Hellraiser fan, and and he's going to kind of go into the war and the ten movies. But I do feel like, to Josh's point earlier, there was an interest on, hey, what are these, what are these Cinnabites? Even though they, again, they sound like a Cinnabon snack. Yeah, it's good. it's the but, cinnamon <laughs> bites, <laughs> cinnamon bites. Um, you know, one of the funniest things I saw. <laughs> And this is kind of funny because, you know, I know Zach's a Stephen King fan. And I guess Stephen King gave a blurb for the movie. He goes, I've seen the future of the horror genre, and his name is Clive Barker. And Roger Ebert used that at the opening of his review. And he goes, now there's a blurb Stephen King should have written under one of his pen names. (laughs) (laughs) I, I laughed so hard when I read that. I was like, man, dude. I mean, and but I can understand it why uh, and again, i can understand conf- anybody who watched that for the first time in the like what 80s being like what the fuck is this <laughs> well i mean it, it apparently it did really well in, in in the uk in america it was like mixed but you know one of the things i kept hearing and maybe you know josh and zach i mean definitely josh is into you know a lot more effects and things of that nature but you know one of the things i kept seeing and hearing was Oh, the effects of it were so gory and so great. And I didn't really feel like I was very blown away with any of the effects. Well, that's because you're like, you're spoiled now, dude. You're desensitized, bro. You grew up in the Columbine era. Oh, God. Well, no, I mean, you think of the other two movies we watched in favorites. I mean, I think that those effects are way superior than anything I saw in Hellraiser. Um, You know, that's just my opinion. I guess. I just didn't feel, I, I didn't feel overly like, oh, wow, that was super cool like or you know or out of the norm but i just feel like it was more unnecessary than anything else like right and i could see that you know anyone a fan of a horror movie like the more you know gore and guts and things of that nature yeah i mean i can understand that for sure definitely you know the hooks ripping into the skin and all that i mean that is pretty graphic and i mean i can understand it but i get maybe to your point like you know the things we've seen in, in our lifetime maybe desensitize me. I mean, we literally <laughs> watched 2,000 people die on live TV. Exactly. Exactly. Um, although the... seen a man... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. Go I ahead. was going to say, although we do have the other effects of the thing, which was fantastic, too. 
which we should also Bro, segue they... into this one. But yeah, go ahead. What? Yes, let's segue. Like, yeah, segue to the thing. I was gonna, yeah, go for it. So, Did I... and, and kick it off. It's your. It's this is Josh's sure. favorite. Yeah, yeah. It is movie. my. It is my favorite horror uh, movie. But I honestly don't <laughs> remember first time seeing. It. I remember watching it multiple times, but I don't necessarily remember the exact first time I watched it. I remember one instance we we had our cousins over. Uh, what is it? Uh, not Mikey and Jacob, uh, Joey Jr. And um, not Art, not this junior, but another junior, <laughs> uh, obviously based off of his father's name and and Matthew. <laughs> but um, I, I, I don't know if you remember that, but we all we were playing driver. And I remember we were playing and we, we watched the thing and we were all eating ice cream and farting under the blanket. You remember that? Yeah. I don't. Y'all are nasty. That My God, me. you were there. We were all playing driver and we watched the thing. That's, that sounds like something we did. But like, do you remember the first time you watched the thing? I think dad may have rented it. And Is that what it put was? it on? And I was I was scared and I left. I couldn't watch it. <laughs> Dude, that movie was amazing. At Like, yes, again, it was terrifying, especially all the effects like I mean, it wasn't like whenever oh. the Halloween music would come on, you would jump over the couch and run away. Oh, oh, but. oh, that's a whole nother story. So apparently our sister, Julia, she thought it was the most funniest thing to cheat. OK, I hated the Halloween theme, you know, the piano. Dun, 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 right. That oh, whole thing. I love it. Love it. So, yeah, amazing. Right. But me, it actually instilled fear into me. So Julia went out Terror. and Terror, yes, bro. I would turn on lights. I would be like, why are we, why are we watching this? And she would lie. We're going to watch this. And then the movie would start playing and it would start with that actual music. And he would just like freak the <laughs> fuck out. Bro, she, went, see, she, she went out and actually bought a CD and put it into her car and blast that. <laughs> and it would scare the hell out of me. It was uh, such Julia bullshit. was the queen of fucking playing pranks like that. Oh no, my car stopped here at the railroad oh, track. My God. What are we going to do? Dude, I remember my first memory of the thing was I must have been like f- five or six um, and I think I was at a house party with um mom and 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 my dad and i think it was on late night tv and then you know everybody was like it was you know probably one in the morning everybody was kind of already passed out and it was showing the thing and i just remember when the dog's face opened up i was just what am i watching here i had no idea what was going on (laughs) it was probably one of the first times i remember covering my eyes because you're like wait what what who is this what is going on with this dog why did his face just open and you know at that point you know i didn't most of my life i haven't you know i don't have any kind of feeling towards dogs or cats you know no preferences i don't they live i live everybody's happy he hates animals basically (laughs) jesus no no i don't hate animals i'm I'm actually dog sitting this week Uh um, uh-huh as he strangles the dog oh my god whoa 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 whoa. uh i would like that stricken from the record he likes to say that pleasure and pain are the same thing or something (laughs) i don't know he might be a cinnabite well Come to daddy. Come to daddy. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but no, no, but it just, you know, as a kid, I actually, at that age, I always wanted a dog, but no, my parents wouldn't let me have one because, you know, for whatever reason. 
So after I see this dog's face open up, I'm like, yeah, I don't want a dog. Like, I'm just like, and it was just so horrifying, but I still watched the movie, right? Like, I just, it, it transfixed me, but at the same time, it was kind of like, whoa, what is this? You know? Um, and I mean, I think I watched, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, I watched when we did the first episode, I had watched Exorcist of Six or Seven. And I think maybe seeing the thing kind of prepared me for for the exorcist because i mean yeah and at that time i didn't understand the assault of you know sexuality and demonic beings and all this other things the occult i mean but you see a dog's face open up and try to start eating other dogs you're like whoa 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 this is some shit i've never seen before (laughs) it's like whoa whoa, whoa, Um, dogs do that exactly (laughs) never mind i don't want a dog anymore i'm moving on so Um, so with the thing uh if our listeners haven't seen the thing the premise of the thing was that there was a spaceship that landed, what, a thousand years ago? No, it was like a hundred thousand years ago or something like that. It yeah, was, that's, that's what they explain in the movie. Yeah, so like 000. it literally opens up with a flying saucer crash landing in the Antarctic, right? And so this whole, literally this thing is a shape-shifting monster. It can assimilate to many different individuals, but have the same mind. So I mean, one could yeah. argue that we don't know if it necessarily means ill. Wait, what? We don't know if it's a bad thing that shapeshifts. We just well, know that it has to. It has to infuse itself with the thing that it's trying to take over. So I think, based on our survival of the fittest, that's not good for us. I guess. So I mean, yeah, I mean, to your point, yeah, maybe its intent isn't to harm us, but its nature is to replicate us. And then in order to do that, they have to consume us. But continue, Josh. So I'm going, I'm so getting the, in the weeds here. So it, it, it's, it starts crash landed. And so it opens up literally with this, these, uh, what is it? The Swedes are, or someone in a chopper, the Swedish, right? The, the Norwegians. Norwegian. The Norwegians. That's, that's what McCready well, would say. He said, they're yeah, Swedes. Yeah. And he's like, they're Norwegian. Calm down, McCready. Exactly. Yeah, Norwegians. And he so they're chasing this dog and they're just shooting at it, missing, missing, and then finally reaches this. Are they stormtroopers? They stormtrooper aim. So they eventually, the dog eventually reaches the American base. I forget the name of the base. And so, like, they're under attack. They're hearing guns. They don't know what these people are saying. So, homeboy, old boy with a gun literally just pops one in the eyeball, right? And. And that that's where it all tr- really just starts from there. But essentially, the it's just this whole what is the word I'm looking for? A uh, claustrophobic feeling of who and what I I can't trust anyone. Who to trust? Everyone is a, a just we don't know what's going on right now. We we know it can replicate. It can it assimilate to different cells, and we can and it shares the same intelligence of or and memories of what's going on, and a shared memory at that with other beings. I would assume because it knew how to build a spaceship. So, my God, that movie like just the idea of having a thing that could just assimilate and be like, oh yeah, I'm your best friend, and then like nick you or you know. Sh- worst fucking show itself and literally eat you alive and then fucking rebirth you and then be another you and do the same thing but like, like if it remember has all your memories is it technically you like did you what die? is this the sh- what is this the ship at thermophilus what is it the theseus every plant theseus yes it's 
I mean, I mean, I guess it's still technically you, but no, not really, because look at, you know, you look at Blair, how he was acting once he got taken over, which I guess oh, Wilford Brimley, oh diabetes himself, diabetes. But going back to Josh's point about the claustrophobic and um, anxious feeling and of not knowing who, you know, again, a fear point and one that you see all the time is the homicidal other, just the other person, right? Just the the fact that in a lot, like you know, when you think of um, talking about another John Carpenter movie, The Last House on the Left, right? You know, the homicidal other. The other is already scary in and of itself, right? You know, human the, humanity is tribal. The others are already kind of looked upon in a very questioning manner. But then if it's a homicidal other, then it's that kind of that's that's where that fear comes. Right. But now what if it's a not necessarily a homicidal other? It's someone that looks like someone, you know, who is still homicidal. So now it's the fear you're amped up. And I think that's why I loved so much when I went back and looked at this. And obviously, uh, I think I don't know, Zach, you've seen it. I know Josh and I went to the theater when we watched the prequel to the thing. There's so a prequel? You know, you yeah, of, there's a prequel. Yeah, there's a prequel. Hmm. And it and the way it ends is them chasing after the, the Norwegians chasing after that dog. So, oh, nice. You know, so you know, one of the things when we were while I was watching, I said, Oh, well, you know, I know I watched the prequel, and the last time I saw this was I mean, literally the last time I think I saw this, I was like when I said at that party. I may have saw it one other time when I was like early teens, it was on cable or something. So, but you know, watching the prequel, also knowing, you know, knowing already the premise of the movie, how it all plays out watching it this time appreciating how the wolf the way it's being set up in those shots like when you got to imagine they're seeing this in 1982 they don't know what's going on but they kept having these shots on the wolf right the wolf was being chased and shot at the wolf was under the pool table with mccready and i forgot who else left to go to the norwegian camp it's always got this shot on the wolf like hey what's going on with this wolf right but going back to the homicidal other and you know something that's replicating people you know. And now, now it's not the homicidal other, it's the homicidal replication of somebody you know. It's kind of interesting that it was a wolf, you know, thinking of a werewolf, right? The, a human turns into a werewolf and, and wreaks havoc and destroys. Well, this time you have a wolf who's turning to war humans, basically. It's kind of like he flipped the coin on that a little bit, in my mind. Um, and seeing it this time around, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting how he did that. Now, what's so funny is or, that or not funny is that it wasn't a wolf <laughs> right exactly it's, it's an alien but what's so interesting is to me and not necessarily funny but funny now in the hindsight of that this is considered one of the great horror movies one of the john carpenter's great movie this movie was a bomb when it came out in 1982. critics and and and, and, and moviegoers despised it that was the same year et came out so you know maybe that's part of it you know they wanted a friendly alien but this movie bombed it was not like it was not one that um you know critics liked it wasn't moviegoers didn't like it john carpenter lost a job because of this underwhelming performance of this movie so this movie howard hawks produced a movie called the thing from another world and john carpenter was a big howard hawks fan and he had already remade a movie called howard hawks movie called rio bravo he had made that into Assault on Precinct 13. I don't know if y'all ever seen that one, the original. I know there was a remake. I think Ethan Hawke's in it. They made that like in the early 2000s. But he was already in line to do another kind of reimagining of one of Howard Hawke's movies called uh, Only Only Angels Have Wings. And after this came out and it basically bombed, they took that job away from him. They basically said no. So now in hindsight, when you look at it, this is one of the, you know, one of the more famous horror movies 
to think that at the time, like fans just didn't care for it at all. Yeah, like it kind of makes you think about what's going to happen to Game of Thrones. You know, is it going to age well? With which with which one? Game of Thrones, the last season. Oh, oh you're going to say it's going to come back somehow from, you know, 30 years from now? 30 years from now, everybody's going to be like, oh my God, masterpiece. What was everybody talking about? Totally made sense. <laughs> this isn't going to well, age well. Like, it's going to age like milk. My, my hot take right here. <laughs> Um, one of the other things that I found, like going back to special effects, you know, that's kind of how we segued into this, you know, this thing has some great special effects, but oddly enough, that year that, that it came out, Tron had been nominated for an Oscar award that year. And basically they said the reason Tron didn't receive it was because it was using computer generated images, CGI. Damn. So like, this is a time, this is during a time where CGI is just starting to break in. But people like Tron is literally losing it because they're like, well, that's not real. Like, that's cheating. Okay. That's not real special effects. And then you jump into this and it's like, this was some really great special effects. Um, you know, one of the things I told Josh that I discovered was, you know, the scene where, where they're trying to revive old boy oh, and his yeah. stomach opens up. Um, the, they had found a double amputee who had lost both of his arms, forearms from like an industrial accident. And he's the one in that scene. They put like these freight prosthetic arms and and all that and there was actually a clamp in that in that bodysuit with that stomach and so like the, it just clamped around it and the person just pulled his already double amputee elbows out of it and then all that gore and stuff came out so like they found really interesting ways to get some of these shots done yeah um which i thought that was pretty cool Jeez. who moved who moved that was not me i thought that was you anywho that <laughs> anywho Sorry, are we talking about who moved? Yeah, yeah. this well, that was my my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the most notorious and favorite scene. My favorite scene is the the blood testing, like that whole like that. Especially that one when it when it first started coming out, like when it started morphing and stuff. Like where it st there there was literally a scene where it bit its head and he was holding it up, like where it was like flailing and shaking, like that thing. It just it disturbed me. The movements were so. Oh, like that. Oh, oh, yeah. Give me no, the no, creeps, no. bro. It, it, they did it that really well. But for me, the scenes that stuck out the most were like the ones with, with the dogs. Like, oh, the, when they the kill little... actual dogs, no, bro, no, it looked like they were oh. killing the dogs. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't, real, I, didn't, bro. I didn't see anything uh, acknowledging that in the credits, so who knows? Maybe. Uh, what John but... Carpenter actually like, all right, we're only getting one shot. Shoot the dog. You're like, oh. shoot the damn dog. Jesus. Take the shot. So, you know, one of the things, I know this is in, definitely in Josh's arena with the sound, but, like, it's interesting you're talking about that scene with the dogs and all of that. The way that the guy who recorded that sound, he literally got his kids to go ask all the neighborhood, neighbors in the neighborhood to ask to borrow their dog and they put all the dogs in the living room and then the guy had a recorder turned on the recorder put on like a, a yellow raincoat and things and went outside and kept like banging on the windows trying to get in the doors and just recorded the dogs losing their shit that's in the house you know, that's that's how they got that sound for that scene and i'm just thinking and 
when now when you hear that, you just I can just see all these dogs in the living room just losing their shit, trying trying to like get at this person outside of the house, right? But I mean, it it adds to that level of like what's going on in that scene. Shit, even in that scene where the dog was more or that thing was morphing, and those dogs, it looked like those dogs were actually first time seeing that whole thing for the first time, and oh, they were 100%. actually showing fear, and they were ripping out of the fence. I'm like. My God, Bro, these those dogs, dogs are great actors. Yeah, for real, they were terrified. Well, you know the one, the main dog. I guess he's a famous dog actor. The the one that starts opening scene, like he's went on to do all kinds of other movies. But to your point, though, yeah, those. If you're seeing that, that's when you know that they were reacting like I was when I saw the movie. They're like, like "What, what is going the on? fuck I is gotta, this? I gotta go, man. I got things to do." And yeah, I know for sure you, you see that terror at that point. And that's when you're like, yeah, this is, this isn't a alien movie. This is horror. This is, and you know, that's one of the things I was going to say and ask you guys' opinion. How do y'all feel when people say, oh, well, it's, a, it's supposed to be a, a sci-fi or a fantasy, um, you know, something like this, or, you know, maybe even like something like the bodies, you know, invasion of the body snatchers and things of that nature. Like, what do you, what are y'all's thoughts when you hear that? Do you think it is that, or is it more a horror movie? I feel like people who say that are generally assholes. Um, and so you're, you're type of people, basically, basically. <laughs> so like, it's, if you're really going to get caught up on like the technicalities, like it's obviously a horror suspense movie with sci-fi elements, but at the, at the end of the day, like if you're going to be like, Oh, it can't be labeled horror. Cause there's like fucking goddamn science in it and aliens, then you're a fucking douchebag in my opinion. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice to take on that. That's Ben and Josh. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. I would say it's definitely a horror. I mean, like the feeling of, of something being able to replicate itself and hide itself within your best friends, your coworkers and share the same memories and is literally going to eat you or assimilate to you and lose your individuality. Yeah, that's terrifying. Isn't there like a short yeah. story or I don't know. I swear I saw it on Reddit or something where it's like, what's the most terrifying short story you've heard? And it was just like this one story of this guy. He's putting his daughter or kid to sleep, whatever. And you just like, oh, daddy, can you check for monsters under my bed? And literally underneath the bed is it is the exact it's his kid underneath the bed. He's like, could you tell me if the monster's still up there? And it's and then looks up and it's his son just smiling. And it's just like. What do you do in that fucking situation? We don't know which ones to trust. They're identical. Terrible. You kill you kill both and tell everybody QAnon made you do it. Kill oh my god, dude. Jesus. <laughs> no, and that's interesting that you say that because you know, one of the things I don't know if we mentioned earlier, but this this movie is based on a short story um or a novella by um famous uh, sci-fi writer John W. Campbell Jr. Okay, so and you're saying story- it's not horror, it's sci-fi. No, 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 no. I, I'm saying it is horror. I'm just saying that, you know, that's that's who wrote it. It's called Who Goes There. And in the story, the way they do it as well in the in the movie. So, you know, the movie from 1951 is based on that story. And so is the thing. Um, the wolves play a part in both of the movies. But I think for me, I, I'm going to say it's horror because what are you saying when you mean, oh, like they're to your point. OK, so so what if they're science fiction? That's just a um, a context of the movie, right? It's not necessarily a, a major point of the movie. Maybe they try to tie it in and things of that nature. But when you when they try to negate something that has an alien and say, "Oh, it's sci-fi or fantasy," I'm thinking, "Wait, what are you talking about?" When you look at the horror genre, 
every single thing that's in one of these horror movies is alien to humanity. A werewolf, a vampire, ghost. These are alien to who we are as humans. So it doesn't matter if the alien actually comes from extraterrestrial outside of this world. It's still alien to us as humans. And that's horrifying, especially if it can replicate itself and look like Josh and Zach. If I show up at Thanksgiving and y'all are both the thing and I find out about it, I don't know how I'm going to find out about it. I don't, I don't have any vials of y'all's blood to test, but you know, uh, you know, that's a scary thing. Now, instead of eating Turkey, you guys are trying to eat me and you know, I don't run as fast as I used to or as far. So, <laughs> so if the thing were to assimilate any of us, would it just assume our current form or would it just go into our prime form that we so what you're saying is that like if you're if if would you be okay having all your memories and also being the thing if you're like super skinny well i I would be dead first of all and i would well you don't know that bro you like your consciousness is completely replicated into this other thing's mind so if anything you're just a similar individuality is gone this thing has memories of past lives and past aliens past everything it has an accumulation of intelligence it's it's on a whole different plane of, of if existence. anything you're more godlike bro yes but not you would you would be in a pool of like a, a grain of of rice in a whole thing you know just a tiny one in a whole sack yeah you are in a sack you, you <laughs> like the sack of these nuts but no i mean i would i would i would it would be it would be a trip because like if we were at dinner and you two both were assimilated by the monster and y'all looked like fucking Brad Pitt body, I'd be like, what the fuck <laughs> happened? <laughs> you know, no, yeah, Zach would say, what the fuck happened? But then he'd be like, how do I get in? Yeah, on yeah, this? yeah. I can, to- I, can I do <laughs> our faces just open up and just eat them? There, done. You're like, what la- what lament box do I have to open to get in on this <laughs> lament box? You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's, uh, so what, let's, anything else on the thing? Um, what, you know, one of the things I found interesting, just a quick, I'll add one side note, and if y'all have anything, then we'll move on to the next one. But the composer for the music of this movie, um, do you know who it is, Josh? No, I don't, actually. Um, so usually John Carpenter, I didn't know this, usually writes a lot of the stuff that he does for his movie, but this time he got a composer. The composer's name is Ennio Maricone, uh, and Maricone. He, he wrote... He worked with Sergio Leone, so he composed the music on A Fistful of Dollars, which is your favorite Western movie that you recommended that we'll be seeing here shortly Mm -hmm. in the next few episodes. So I found that kind of interesting that Josh's favorite horror movie has the same composer as the person that wrote his favorite Western movie. So I think that's kind of interesting. And apparently, Quentin Tarantino in The Hateful Eight used unused music from the thing that the composer had written for the movie the hateful eight and when you think of the hateful eight is it's kind of like the thing in the western but minus the alien you you don't know who the bad guy is in that i I don't know if y'all both have seen it um i've never seen it nope oh y'all never seen the hateful eight spoiler alert i guess but no yeah they they use that same music and uh, any some of the unused music of the thing and i guess apparently some of the used music too um, is in the hateful eight that Quentin Tarantino used um, by this composer. So, but I really I thought it was kind of interesting that Josh's two favorite movies in the first two miniseries that we're doing, um, you know, the composer for both of his favorite movies in horror and genre or horror genre and the western genre are the same composer. So I, you obviously didn't know that, but 
you know, knowing how much you love sound and all of that things and move and music, maybe you just it was a subconscious possibility. <laughs> so, Junior's favorite movie that he picked for horror was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And Junior, what is the premise of Nightmare on Elm Street? Even though I assume everyone has at least heard of it or seen it. Thanks a lot, Chachi. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming. Freddy Krueger is as American as Apple Pie and the Star Spangled Banner and American Flag Bandanas. You know what I mean? Like Freddy Krueger is a staple of American culture. Um, the Nightmare on Elm Street, written and directed by Wes Craven, who we've already reviewed one of his productions, uh, Wishmaster. He didn't write or direct that, but he did produce it um, and was never associated with any of the fall of Wishmasters which we can obviously see why, but <laughs> he did write and direct um, Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. And the premise of the movie is teenagers are having nightmares of a boogeyman that's terrorizing them and killing them and causing them harm in their sleep. I mean, what's more terrifying than that? And of course, throughout the course of the movie, you find out that these teenagers' parents had killed and burned a man named Fred Krueger who was a child murderer and had killed 20 of the kids in the neighborhood um, of, of Elm, I guess, in Elm Street, wherever the neighborhood was. I mean, I don't think he killed 20 kids on the street because that would be really kind of weird. But but yeah, so Fred Krueger was a man, killed children. And once the parents did their vigilante justice, I don't know, however many years later, he started to haunt the children, their teenage children through their dreams. So that's kind of the premise of Freddy Krueger and, and quick Nightmare question on there. Street. Quick question sure. there. I, I don't remember if this was actually in this movie or if it was established at all, but I always thought that like they had wrongfully killed him. He didn't end up doing it. Well, so and that's why he's like coming back for revenge. So that's that that's one of the things too. When you think about Nightmare on the Street, and Josh was talking earlier about Hellraiser and the lore. So there are nine Elm Street movies that were made. There was also a TV series, so there was so much things. There was a TV so many series. Things that, there was a TV series um, of Freddy. So yeah, there there was a lot of content made um, regarding Freddy Krueger, and basically, if you remember the movie, when the mother finally kind of confesses to uh, what's her name, Nancy is in is it Nancy in the movie? Yeah, Nancy, the 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 character played by Heather Langkamp. She like shows him shows her the the she actually has the knives and the glove of Fred Krueger and it kind of explains that, yes, he, he was a dirty child murderer and kind of note on that is initially Fred Krueger or Freddy Krueger for the movie was written as a child molester, but I guess there was a string of like child molestations in the area where they were filming this movie. So Wes Craven decided to just make it a child murderer, but like, you know, her saying dirty child murderer kind of like implies it was more than just killing ki kids. Um, but anyway, so yeah, she has that thing and she tells him like, he killed 20 kids and it was so nerve wracking. We didn't know who was doing it. And once we did, basically she said it was like a big, huge or, you know, celebrity trial or not necessarily a celebrity trial, but a big trial. The judge got fat, the lawyers got rich, but apparently there was a mistake in the paperwork and like a warrant didn't get signed in the right place. So he was let off. So that was what in the movie. Now, as far as the other lore, I mean, I, I think I only ever watched up to, to number four of Freddy Krueger. So I don't know. I, I think eventually it 
comes out that he his mom was a nun who was raped by a bunch of men. There's like there's a lot in all the other movies, a lot more things come out about Fred Krueger. But I think it was always he actually did kill the children. He just got let off of court as a technicality, and that's why the parents went and invoked their vigilante justice. Mm. Idea for but side note, we can cut this. But idea for the future, run it by you. Um, we should do like the spin-off series horror episode where like we watch all of like the Freddy Cougars or all of the Halloweens and oh, just I'm, like I'm completely into that dude. That would be fun to like see the evolution of like Yes. Yeah. Where absolutely. the story went from the beginning to end. We could maybe do that like for like each subsequent ho- like each subsequent Halloween when it's coming up. Mm. Like Halloween time, like start in September. And, you know, if it's 10 movies, we watch each one each week for like eight, nine, like, like Freddy Krueger would be nine movies. Hellraiser would be nine movies. Halloween's like nine. Like, so we could literally do for the next three years, just do like starting in September, we do a, we just deep dive and go into the whole storyline and the lore and see like at the end of it, is it, is it a Game of Thrones type of series or, you know, or is it a lost type of series? Like, does it end great or does it end like this was dumb? I wasted eight weeks of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's never wasting eight weeks for us to get on here and talk shit. So exactly. true. Let's also talk. So going back to. I was going to say, like, the the mother of that woman, uh, of that, uh, I forgot, the mother, that bitch had so many fucking empty bottles of gin everywhere, <laughs> dude. You would, she would have it yeah. just like, she would pull it out of a corner. She'd. She would be caressing it like it's a baby or just like holding it like a baby. Just like she would always be getting her sip on, dude. It was ridiculous. Yeah, 100%. It was was so funny when we would see, I think we, I thought it was an evening scene, but she had, I go, I'm like, dude, is that a bottle of gin she has out? Or or, I thought it was a bottle of vodka. And because she's watching the news and it was right after um, Nancy's Frantina got killed um, in that, which was one of the greatest you know, that's one of the things when I watched this, I'm like, dude, that was such a vivid killing scene. Like that whole, and you know, that's one of the things, I don't know if you all noticed, but I loved how there was no transition or no symbolism or devices that were used to make you know that they were in a dream. That's one of the things I loved about the movie. Even watching it now, I'm like, you never knew when were they dreaming and when were they not. And that's kind of the whole point of, that's what makes it scary. Like, when you're having one of those horrible dreams, it feels real. You think it's real. When you wake up, you literally are glad to know, oh, this was just a dream. Like, I thought it was real. You know, so I think that's one of the things I loved about this movie is that you never knew, are, is it, are they dreaming? Because, you know, Tina goes outside of her house and you're like, wait, is this a dream? Or she did really leave her house. And then here comes Freddie showing up with his accordion arms you know, scraping one side of the fence and it's like sparks flying off his knives. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, you're like, oh shit, she's dreaming, right? Like, you, but it just feels so real because it's not in a different device or different context of like, you know, framing or, you know, however they would shoot a dream sequence in a in another movie. There's no difference, right? So I think that's one of the things I definitely liked about it. Johnny Depp looks so good. <laughs> this was Johnny Depp's debut movie. It was, yeah, I forgot. Very first movie. And you know what's crazy? So apparently Johnny Depp got this role because Wes Craven like showed his daughter the headshot. Like, so he didn't even really, you know, he had he had met Johnny Depp. He came in and, you know, he was he was like one of the first thing I thought was he, you know, this guy's beautiful. Second was like, 
I just don't really think he fits this part, you know, but he took the headshot of like different people who's considering to home and his 14 year old daughter and a friend of hers. He's like, Hey, who do you think should play Glenn? And they pushed away like some surfer dude and some, some kind of jock. And they were like this guy. And so that's kind of how Johnny Depp got the part. Like Wes Craven's daughter was like, he's the one. And since I guess he kind of wrote this kind of base or not necessarily base, but like using his daughter as the muse of Nancy, you know, when she chose Johnny Depp, how old was, was like, his okay, daughter at the time? 14 years old. Okay. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And I didn't realize that Johnny Depp, the way he got an acting, he used to be a musician. And I think it was his first wife. They got separated or divorced and she started dating Nicholas Coppola, who is Nicholas Cage and Johnny Depp. They hung out and he's like, Oh, you're a really cool kind of guy. Like you should like get into acting. That's how Johnny Depp got into acting because of Nicholas Cage. That's awesome. Like, Dude, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah. We should we should do a whole series on Nicholas Cage. Right? Bro, the guy's made oh, dude, so yeah. many movies, man. Dude, raising Arizona. Like, I mean, dude, there's there's yeah, the guy has just done so many great. God, what was that other movie we watched movies. with the animatronics and he never spoke a word and took uh, like breaks? Wally's world. Dude, Zach, have Wally's you seen world. that movie? No, I haven't. Dude, it, he, Nicholas Cage doesn't say a damn thing in that movie at all. Did you see the one that like marked his comeback? It was um Pig. No, 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 no. It was uh oh. Mandy. 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 That, no, I don't think I ever saw that. That one. it was more artistic and everybody was like, fucking Nicolas Cage is in another movie. What? And you watch it, you're just like, Holy fuck, Nicolas Cage is back. And then from there it started snowballing, started getting more and more roles, and now he's hanging out with Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I mean have you all seen Pig? The one that he did in 2021, I think it was, or 2020. No, I've, I've wanted to see it. I keep seeing it around. Oh, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great, like he plays that perfect, man. Um, you're just doing Nick Cage things, man. He, he definitely... See, that's my thing. Like, I love Nicolas Cage, but I can't take him in a serious movie. It just, he might do a good job. No doubt. He's an, he's a good actor. It's just, I see right, him. You, do I, not remember, I, you don't remember City of Angels? Yeah, it's just, like, it's just one of my things about Nicolas Cage. I see him as like a living meme, but it's it's just how the no, internet bro. perceives him. But, you know, it's just... it's so... You know how I knew, or again, that Nicolas Cage was a good actor? Watch Mandy. You forget that it's Nicolas Cage in the movie. And obviously it's Nicolas Cage, so it just blows your mind at how good of an actor he is. That you can't, you don't even think he's Nicolas Cage with his whole ethos behind him, dude. Yeah, still the Declaration no, sure. of Independence. <laughs> they need to make the third one. When are we, yeah, when are we gonna? Yeah, when are we gonna get the third part of National Treasure? That's what I want. They're gonna have so. to incorporate QAnon. Like, if they don't, <laughs> if they don't, they're wasting the so much potential. Dude, that is a good idea, actually. So, what are your guys' thoughts on Nightmare on Elm Street? Like, when do y'all remember the first time you saw it? I will say that really quick. I think one of the other reasons I love this movie was right around the time that I watched it. I don't know if it was after I watched it or before I watched it, but I know it was in that time frame. I had woke up from a dream and you know, your body puts your body, like basically turns off the actions of your body so you don't like sleepwalk. And obviously that's why people sleepwalk. Their, their brain isn't telling their body not to do the actions while they're sleeping. But I woke up, I was fighting somebody in the car. And when I woke up, I was still, I was punching, but my fists were stopping like I was hitting somebody. So 
that that vivid remembrance of waking up from a nightmare when I saw this movie, or it might have been afterward, I think that's what made me kind of become endearing to this being one of my favorite horror movies. And and what I realized after watching this and after watching Psycho and the first episode we did, I'm really pro I think my favorite is slasher genre, like slasher horror genre. That's my kind of like horror movie for whatever reason. Um, that's what I kind of like appeal towards but do you guys remember the first time y'all watched nightmare on street i don't necessarily remember exactly when but i know it was young i was younger than 10 and this the whole concept is fucking terrifying to a kid because (laughs) you know you watch movies that like for instance a halloween where it's like there's somebody out there coming to kill then you hear about a person who can kill you in your dreams and you're like wait that can happen (laughs) Right. I didn't know this was a, a front that I should be worried about. I'm not prepared for this shit. I need to, I'm not going to sleep. Fuck that. Like I can't, I'm not a dream warrior. This isn't, you know, right. Freddy part the fucking five or whatever. Part, part That was part three. Yeah. Part three dream warriors. Like that shit is so terrifying to a child because obviously you have nightmares, but you didn't know you could fucking die in them. Which that kind of just goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Like the fear points. Like this is something that we all do. We all sleep. We all dream. And if shit's going to kill me in my sleep, like now I'm not trying to go to sleep, right? Like that's 100%. Like it was like, oh, but luckily, again, I saw Dream Warriors 3 and I was like, oh, well, I can fight this motherfucker in my dream if it comes down to it. I'll find my power. (laughs) <laughs> Josh, do you remember your first time? Yeah, or, I would. You know, what you I remember mean, most? I don't remember my exact age, but I remember I was very young when I watched it. And the thing is about that movie, like, I don't remember the whole thing. I literally remember parts of that movie. I remember when Johnny Depp got sucked into the bed and blood went everywhere. Mm. I never forgot that scene because that stood out to me as a child. And the scene where the ladies, like, the mother's waving goodbye while the She's like, help us, get us mm-hmm. out. And then she gets pulled through the window as a doll, like, you know, <laughs> which was hilarious looking at it now. But as a child, like, I, I was just like, oh, oh my God, you she just got sucked in through a window, you know, like with one hand. <laughs> like, and, and right then Julia starts playing dun, 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 or whatever <laughs> yeah, the Halloween music. And you're like, I, I got to go. I got to go. It would instill fear into me, man. It, it was a terrifying, the music works. I mean, it's terrified me, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's, so on. So first, the point to the Johnny Depp scene. So, dude, did you know they use five hundred gallons of fake blood <laughs> to shoot that? Scene? Shoot, and I would assume Damn, they filmed that they... Back upside down, didn't they? They filled had the set so upside they, down, right? So they built a, a rotating room. Oh, that makes sense. That was used for the the scene that Tina got killed in her friend, and they used it for the Glenn death scene. So it was a rotating room, and apparently, the whoever was pushing or pulling the like rotating the room they were supposed to go clockwise it went counterclockwise and apparently the thing lost control because like it was the because it went counterclockwise the way that the i guess fake blood fell into the room it like hit some of the electrical stuff and it like went out of control and like yeah it was just chaos bro but like the two guys that were hanging from the ceiling shooting the shot they were hanging for 30 minutes afterwards because it was just chaos they lost power and they were hanging there for half an hour. And they're like, hey, but we got the shot. They got the shot. <laughs> they're like, we don't need any more blood. Like, we're good. Jesus. Oh, uh, yeah. So whenever that, and I, I, I want to find like video of that, like how that room worked. Like I saw pictures of it. 
but it's just like i'm like hey dude that would be crazy a rotating room like um you know the, 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 a lot of i guess the actress that got killed in that her name's amanda Wiss, the girl that the the, the female actress that played tina she had apparently vert or was it she suffered from vertigo or something like something weird like that and she didn't the west craven didn't know until afterwards so like they had to go in after they shot that scene and like calm her down and say hey this is up this, this is down like you know don't you know don't go crazy like don't pass out from you know the fear of not knowing exactly which way you're, you're facing or whatever but Bro, that's that was kind that's of another fear i guess maybe yeah, maybe yeah. uh hitchcock hit on that in vertigo i don't know i haven't <laughs> watched it yeah, well, that's one we definitely need to probably watch and talk about. Um, and then go into the scene about the mom. You know, that was not the scene that Wes Craven wanted, right? So so basically, you know, uh, one of the things in the movie is Nancy somehow finds a way to, like, she knows what's going on with Fred Krueger, right? Her friends are getting killed, but she knows a way, or she's kind of piecing it together, and her boyfriend, Glenn, who's Johnny Depp, like, kind of tells her about the Balinese and how they deal with, like, monsters in their dreams. And so... You, you, at one point, I think that was what Wes Craven was trying to put out there was like, hey, the power in these dreams are only given to the, the nightmare by you yourself. And like, that's how he wanted to end it. But the producers, I think his name was Robert Shea, wanted a different ending. And he, now the producer says it was because like all the other classic films end with like a kind of open ending or a gotcha kind of ending, right? Like, oh, this is still kind of going on. So he that's why he wanted a different ending shot than just it being over. Um, and technically at first they were pitching that Freddy Krueger was driving the car instead of Johnny Depp. So Wes Craven's like, look, I will compromise, but we can do, you know, make it Glenn driving the car and we'll do like a, the, when the, the top of the car comes over, it's got a red and green coloring. So we know, Oh, it's still kind of a Freddy still here kind of thing. So like that was all just kind of like it wasn't Wes Craven's idea. It was a compromise. That wasn't even how he was going to end the movie. And so, but that kind of opened it up to the franchise we now have of you know Nightmare on Elm Street. But you know, one of the funny things I did when I was kind of looking at this, researching for you know, just kind of looking up things. Um, you know, again, I've watched probably Nightmare on Elm Street probably four or five times before growing up as a kid. And, um, but you know, as you get older, you kind of like. You know, I, what do I not know about this movie? So the, the week that this opened was November 16th, 1984. Guess what the number one song in America was that week that Nightmare on the Street opened? Any guesses? Uh, never going to give you up. <laughs> <laughs> never going to give you up. No, that's that's a good guess. Josh, some Metallica song. I have no idea. <laughs> Enter the Sandman. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> no the number one song the week that freddy krueger hit the streets was wham's wake me up before you go go oh, gosh. <laughs> that's pretty good what a perfect song dude for that movie to come out but uh, you know some of the other things i found out is fred krueger was the name of a bully that bullied Wes craven when he was a kid and that like growing up so, and he had also used the name Krug in The Hills Have Eyes. That was the name of the, of the one of the, you know, the, I think it was the dad in that movie. So he obviously used that name as, a, as the villains of a couple of his movies. So I've kind of found that pretty interesting. And really the whole premise kind of going back to what Zach said, like this was a real thing. Like he had read some articles in the LA Times in the 70s about these Asian immigrants that were coming from, 
as, as like refugees, I forgot exactly, there a few different countries, they were not going to sleep because they were having these nightmares. And when they finally fell asleep, they were waking up and then they would die. And there was like men between the ages of like 19 and 57, this was happening. And, and literally they, they medical profession labeled it the Asian death syndrome. And like this, that's so like, that's what inspired him to write this movie. And so like, again, when you think about just one of these fear points, like, dude, that is something to Zach, I didn't know I had to worry and deal with this shit, you know, like I could die from my sleep. But uh, what did y'all think about that though? Like when you think about when she like took the hat out of the dream, when she brought him out of the dream, fought him in the booby trap house, like, you know, what were your takes on that? How did y'all feel about that? Cause I think that's something that usually gets talked about a lot. Like, is it, was it all just in a dream or was it actually- Is all that we see or seem, but a dream within a dream. But thank you, Edgar Allen. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, Dreams are obviously a very like interesting topic and focal point for humans in general, right? You know, you can go to like biblical where, you know, what was it? Daniel or David or one of those fucks dreamed about all the shit and this prophecy. And there's like a lot of power in dreams, even in, like Native American mythology. And, you know, it it's almost like we want dreams to be real. Right. And so like when these things in this movie are depicted as like coming from the dream, it's kind of playing on that aspect where, and the whole obviously movie is playing at this, that, you know, the dreams are real and not just, you know, real to you. There's a power in dreaming. And I find that really interesting and fun Avenue to go down. I mean, what do you guys think about that? What, just dreams in general and how crazy they actually work? Or the 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 general power of dreaming for it, you know? Like Yeah, like kinda like how Glenn was talking about the Balinese dream skills, you know. And I know Josh, you've you've kind of had a lot of experience or studied and, and, and done a lot of lucid dreaming. Oh right? yeah. I have a lot of uh, sleep paralysis. But if you have a lot of sleep paralysis, you can turn that into lucid dreaming easily if you, you know, if you have it a lot. But it's it's a weird feeling of, you know, you, you know, sleep paralysis. You're awake, but you're asleep, but you still also feel this weird sense of dread. But it to me now, I don't feel a sense of dread. It's it's more of a feeling, a welcoming feeling for me. It's weird how to describe Bro, did it. Did you let the devil in, dude? It's nothing. There's no <laughs> demon. It's literally chemical. Chemicals did in you, your brain, dude. Did you, bro, that's the devil you telling you it's chemicals. The devil is science, bro. Jesus Christ. He he opened the lament box, bro. He has <laughs> pleasure and pain, bro. You get ripped apart every night. <laughs> it's 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 definitely uh, a weird feeling, at least with with that. But just the idea of like how dreams can lead up to a certain point. Like when I mean by that, like okay, I remember a time where I was dreaming about a certain. Th I don't know. Was riding on a bike, um, in my dream, and I remember lightning struck and it made a loud noise and in the dream leading up to that sound i fell down and lightning struck and woke me up like how the hell does our brain tell us and make that dream up up to that point to that noise like how the fuck does that work oh no no 100 there's a there's a movie and it's based on a book called uh john dies at the end where there's this question posed like you're dreaming and it's the same situation like you're dreaming and in your dream you see lightning outside and it makes a thunderclap or something happens like that. But when you wake up, 
somehow your mind could tell that that was going to happen before it happened. So when you wake up, lightning strikes and there's thunder outside. Like, did you know that was going to happen? Did your brain somehow know that was going to happen before it happened? How the fuck? It, For real. It's, it's posed way more eloquently in the in the film, but like, right. it is no, yeah, such yeah. an interesting concept because that shit does happen. It's like our brains are certain at certain capacities precognitive. Yeah, and I didn't know we were going to get into all this, but yeah, I, I know I have read where you, the reaction of how you're, I think it's something in regards to like, the, when you're turning to listen to something or, or turning your attention to something, that your the inner part of your ear or, or reacts before you even knew you were going to turn to listen that way. Like it's so, so, and, and they've proven that with some other things like reaction times, or things of that nature like your your minds already know like your body's already reacting before you even had the cognitive thought of like oh i'm gonna turn this way to listen to this to my right like it, your body's already reacting before you're cognizant of it so like yeah it goes to that like that's like how does it do that and that's literally to that piece like it knows it's about to lightning and it incorporates it into like if you're kind of in a place of lucid dreaming or awareness of like incorporating what you're hearing and then you wake up and you're like, wait a minute, did I just dream this? Or like, how did my body know it was going to do that? And, and that in and of itself is very scary as well, right? You know, when you start to go down that, you know, so yeah, dreams are powerful. It t our body is working through so many different things. Our mind is. And when it incorporates dreams to it, man, yeah, like to your point, it just, it's, 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 it can be welcoming, but it can be very terrifying. Do you time. think it might be something related to like our primitive nature? It might be something that is related to like, say, like it was it was used for us to prevent, I guess, like some animal trying to eat us or something. Would you say it's something like that or something even far beyond? Yeah. Uh, bro, are you talking about those, the Russian sleep experiment? No, I don't <laughs> even know what that is. Ah, uh, bro, you should look that shit up. It's like they deprive people from sleep for so long. And we it might just be an urban legend, but essentially they did it for like using meth and all these drugs for like 30 days. And at a certain point, people like became obscenely strong and started saying weird shit about how we're the thing behind your consciousness that's being kept. What the fuck? That is crazy. Like, I'm, have to, I'm not gonna have to look yes, that up. Yes, for, for sure. sure. That is interesting as hell. Yeah, so uh, there, there's debate if it's true or not. I has highly said that it's not, but it's a very interesting idea that you kind of just made me think of. Golly, what are these Russians doing, man? Did you also see that one experiments that they were doing with reanimating corpses and dog corpses and stuff like that? Yo, I mean, that was still that was kind of like the Germans, though. I mean, that's what they were doing a lot. Crazy stuff, man. World War Two, right? Yeah, that's how we got Hellboy, bro. Hellboy. That's how we got Hellboy. Out of all these three movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Thing, uh, what was the other one? Hellraiser. What do y'all deem as the highest the, from t number one, two, and three? Best, worst, or not worst, but just rank them. Which, which one's y'all's favorites? And then second favorite and last or whatever. Well, I mean, we all have our favorite already, I guess. Man, sh man shut so, up. Are we going to say that changes? Out of these three. If I had to rate the other two, it, would probably, it was obviously the thing in the Hellraiser for me. Mm. Uh, in, in terms of quality of movie, you know, or conceptually, I would probably go like thing, 
because you know it does a lot of interesting things with like suspense oh, and yeah. like junior pointed out the other um but and then it becomes obviously in terms of storytelling for me would be uh nightmare on m street because it does touch on a very fucking crazy concept and the whole series that has spun out was something I really enjoyed growing up. I mean, I didn't enjoy it, but I, it became a part of my psyche. So I, I would go with, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street a second. And I do really thoroughly enjoy Hellraiser because of how fucking strange it is. But when compared to those other two, in terms of quality, I would say the other two are above it. Yeah, I would say mine's, close, I think, almost exactly like Junior's. Uh, the thing being number one, as for not only it's my favorite, but just the idea of this shape-shifting thing that can take on all this you know information and be your other best friend or whatever it is and then hellraiser just because of the lore and interesting behind just just the lore in general and then nightmare on elm street not saying that's a bad movie it's it's just one of it's just how it is on the last one on the step from the it goes one two three you know i like i like the thing i liked hellraiser then nightmare on street didn't hate it it's just i'm I don't hate it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so now moving on to the next thing, which is I think next week we're going to be watching. Well, what's up? Anything I missed? I was going to say before we like transition to the next miniseries, anything else anybody wants to say about as we wrap up the horror genre? Mm. Mm, Yeah, I guess my final thought would be, you know, I don't know how to put a bow on, you know, the horror genre and leaving it. Like I'm obviously, (laughs) I think it was a great way to start this whole experiment that we're having as a, as a family. Um, Because there's one thing that our family really seems to enjoy and that's scaring the shit out of each other when we get the chance. So it it was a good exploration of that and um, a good starting point. And obviously or it may not be obvious. I I think I learned a lot more about how much I really enjoy the genre and how many gems there are right. out there. So, you know, hopefully we can revisit it. I mean, we've talked about maybe some other ideas moving forward, but um, yeah, I'm going to miss it. Yeah, I would say the same. I think doing this, that would be one of my thoughts is, is yeah, just kind of rekindling my affection for the horror genre because growing up as a kid i was i was really kind of i really did like scary movies and horror movies and you know i don't know where when i went away from it but it's definitely you know now as we did this uh first miniseries it definitely has got me engaged into it and i think one of the things i guess one of the other thoughts i would have to kind of you guys like what and then again we to your point hopefully and i think we will kind of go back into the horror genre but like, what are some of the other movies that you, that it made when you were watching these movies? Did any other movies come to mind that you, you know, wish we would have seen or that you kind of want to see now that we've been kind of doing the horror drama? For me, it was one movie called Terror Train, which I did watch the same day that after I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a Jamie Lee Curtis movie. It was made in Canada, but it was set in the United States. And it's basically one of those movies that I, when I was rewatching it, I started to remember all the vivid little things that I found scary or that like impacted me as a kid, um, you know, 
from that movie. So that was one. And then Halloween, again, another Jamie Lee Curtis movie. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like as I was doing these, these movies were coming up to me and thinking, I was thinking, man, I, I need to watch these again. I hadn't seen them. So I did watch Terror Train. I think I will probably watch Halloween and and Texas Chainsaw Massacre sometime in the near future. And I'm definitely going to watch that remake or the re-release reboot of Hellraiser on Hulu. Um, just because again, I did I did find the premise interesting, definitely the Cenobites. But yeah, I think that's one of the things I took away from the horror is like rekindling my interest in the in the horror genre. Yeah, with me, um, definitely rekindled feelings of the past because, you know, me being the youngest and everyone always loving to fuck with me, especially, you know, my <laughs> sister loving to, the love of scaring the hell out of me and wanting me to get on roller coasters. You're like, oh, it'll be fine. And me just terrified, just just be scared <laughs> to absolute shit about stuff like that. But, but as I grew up, I definitely felt like that it's i guess i like the feeling of just like of i guess oh i'm not gonna die but the racing feeling that i am still alive or the rush i guess you could say and like now i'm like i don't get too scared on horror films i get more scared on horror games just because they're so goddamn interactive and just being able to like stop and you're like i can control this at any time but just like when you're so immersed in the game you're like you can't stop you're freaking out you're like i am this person but again, that goes back to the feeling of, wow, what a, I, I feel more alive than I've ever been in my entire life just by being terrified. So, yeah, so it's alive. <laughs> it's alive. <laughs> so so definitely it, it does give that feeling of, of being alive. And I do like that. So um, also how cheap these movies, I wouldn't say cheap, but how little cost to these movies are gone into it and how much the payout is is always incredible just just looking at right. it right but yeah yeah that's something we didn't really touch much on but like yeah horror movies you you can lightning can strike and you can make it for a really low budget and make make millions of dollars like Blair the Blair Witch Project for example um so yeah that and, and it also seems how interesting how how well a movie can be made on a very true shoestring budget sometimes yeah, absolutely uh so so yeah um i guess we can start segueing into the outros into the next mini series that we're going to be going into correct correct and uh what's the next genre of film we're going to be uh reviewing over the next mini the next mini series is going to be how what is it how the west was what 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 is our title for that one called how how the western was won how the western was won and next week we should be doing the best correct or is it yeah. is it best yeah best episodes right zach you know that's right okay all right so yeah we're gonna be watching <laughs> damn it i don't even have it up um our best um uh, what was it it was uh the good bad and the ugly which was zach's pick uh, your pick was The Searchers, and my pick was Unforgiven. So those will be the three movies we'll be watching this week and uh, talking about on our next episode. All right. Well, I guess we can completely wrap up this uh, final episode, or not final, final, yeah, final episode of what is it called? Good, Good film, film haunting. haunting, and move on to the next mini series, episode four, episode. Uh, Pod episode fourth episode of the podcast episode one of 
how the Western was won. And I, this is, this is a journey for all of us. We don't know what the hell we're doing. So I am glad that y'all are all with us <laughs> listeners. If there's any listeners. Um, so, I, well, there's me, I'm sure I'll listen no, to the podcast. I'm not going to listen to them. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so yeah, Josh would, Josh would have been a beautiful, like a perfect Hollywood actor. Go in, do my work, and I'm gone. I'm never gonna watch this. Like I'm just <laughs> like I'm not gonna watch I this. Just do my job. Like paid. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I did my job. I got paid. I'm going home. Oh no, I, ne- I didn't even know it was. I didn't even know it was a hit. I've never even seen it. <laughs> that's that's completely Josh, bro. Hundred percent.